Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Wednesday to you. Uh, Jim, we have an awesome show today. Awesome show. Let's get to it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get the harmony rolling. You guys know every Wednesday uh, it's Tennessee Harmony on this show. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker, Pastor Bobby Harrington, our guest. Bobby's out of town, uh, but Pastor Anthony Walker uh, will be here. And the topic we're going to discuss with him in, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes from now, the topic we're going to discuss with him is about, it comes from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, okay. And, and the things that should manifest in you if you have a relationship, a strong relationship with God, and if the Holy Spirit starts working in you, you should start showing these fruits. And, and it's very appropriate that that's our topic today with Pastor Anthony Walker, because our first guest- Is who? Tony Dungeon. All right then. Hall of Fame football coach. Uh, but it's appropriate because over social media, uh, Tony Dungy scolded me about my profane language. And, and, you know, when someone that I respect this much and any elder or whatever, it's actually when Tony reached out to me and asked me, hey, Jason, don't curse as much. Don't or ask me not to curse at all, and and said, "Look, man, you, you representing the faith." And basically, what Tony was telling me was, "Show the fruit, or people won't hear what you're saying." And so that actually, when Tony reached out to me asking me that, that's when I, I caught a service, a sermon from Pastor Michael Todd that was talking about the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter five, and I put it all together with what Tony was trying to tell me. And I've been making an effort uh, to be less profane and, and to make sure that what I'm saying can be properly heard and to make sure I'm representing, do a better job of representing my faith. And so uh, without further ado, uh, the man that has helped me and many others along our path, uh, Tony Dungy's Hall of Fame NFL coach, Super Bowl winner. And, and Tony, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever shared that with you. I did share like, hey, thank you for reaching out. I respect that. But it did take me further into the word. And and obviously you were right on point. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the way you took it. You took it the way I said it. It wasn't uh, coming down. It wasn't judging you. I just said, hey, Jason, you got a lot to say. You represent the Lord out there. But people, when they hear this other language, they're going to say, wait a minute now, which side is he on? Is he really uh, representing God or is he just fronting? And uh, you took it the right way, and, and I think it's going to help. Well, I had a father that came at me all the time, <laughs> the way you like came at me. I got a, yeah. And I got a mother who's still alive who comes at me the exact same way. And, uh, you know, my mother would, uh, be honest with you, she'd throw me out if Tony Dungy would agree to be her son. Uh, <laughs> she's a huge Tony Dungy fan, and she, she's going to love this episode. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll try to talk a little football with Tony, but I do want to talk about your journey, your faith, because I think for people like me and for others, 
it's actually more important than what you did in football. Mm. Uh, you use football as a ministry and as a way to reach people. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the success and all that was important to you, but you just wanted to reach as many people as you could, as many men as you could. And so if you could just start by taking us through your journey with God, how early did it start? Where Was it a roller coaster ride like it is for a lot of us or has it just been pretty steady for Tony Dungy? Yeah. No, it was definitely a roller coaster ride for me, Jason. And very much like you, I grew up in a small industrial town, Jackson, Michigan, maybe 40,000 people in, in town. Uh, my grandfather was a Baptist minister. Two of his sons, not my dad, but two of his, my uncles were ministers as well. And my mom's taught the Sunday school. So Thursday night, she used to work on her lesson. She'd give her lesson to us and see if it made sense. So I heard it on Thursday night and on Sunday. And I, I knew what was going on spiritually from a very, very early age. But like most boys in those kind of towns and growing up when we did, uh, sports became my, my idol, so to speak. Uh, I was a good athlete. My parents made sure I was a good student. But that was my life growing up. And my parents took me to church and I understood that. I, I knew all about Christ. I knew the message. But when I got to high school and when I got to college, um, being a good athlete was more important to me than being a good person. Now, I didn't do crazy stuff. Uh, the, the boys in the hood warned me about the, the weed and the alcohol and staying away from that. You, you have a chance to do something special with your life. Don't get caught up in that. Um, my dad taught me enough about what it would do to your body. So I didn't do crazy stuff. I wasn't going to ever disrespect my parents. But I think people that knew me in college would have just said, yeah, nice guy, good guy. But they wouldn't have said Christian. And that all changed for me, Jason, um, really the night of the draft. I was a quarterback in, in college, uh, led the Big Ten in passing twice. I thought I was going to be a quarterback in the NFL, and I didn't get picked. And I was devastated. And, and I think that night of the draft, for the first time in a long time, I prayed and I said, Lord, what what is going on here? You know, I've worked as hard as I can work. How am I not going to get a chance? And the Pittsburgh Steelers called and they said they didn't want to play me at quarterback, but they want to sign me and play me at another position. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I went to Pittsburgh and I saw some Christian men who changed my life. Uh, Christian guys on that steel curtain team. Who, uh, who are they and how did they impact? <laughs> well, uh, first thing that happened, Coach Knowles said, you don't know anything about defense. You're going to be a defensive back. I'm putting you in a room with Donnie Shell. Watch him do everything mm -hmm. he does, and you're going to be fine. You're going to learn about the game. Well, I go in this room. I'm pulling my stuff out, unpacking, and Donnie Shell asked me, so uh, what's going on? What are you reading? I said, well, I'm reading the playbook, trying to figure out how to be a safety. He said, no, no, what are you reading? And he was talking about the Bible. And he said, hey, we've got this Bible study. You need to be there. You need to be at chapel. And every night I would see him reading his Bible. Every morning he's reading. He's looking at me. He's asking me things. So I start reading. I start going to the Bible study. And it's L.C. Greenwood, Mel Blunt, and John Cole, and Larry Brown, and, uh, you know, J.T. Thomas. And I'm thinking I'm coming to the big, bad Steelers. And, and they were big and bad. But these guys had a, uh, a sense of who they were, and it was, it was rooted in Christ. The first meeting we ever had, 
Uh, Coach Knowles said, welcome to the National Football League. Uh, you're now getting paid to play football, but please don't make football your life. If you make football your whole life, you're going to leave the game disappointed. That was his first message to us. Not about how we're going to win another Super Bowl, not how you're going to make the team, any of that. Don't make football your life. And now these guys were living that out, and they're telling me about uh, relationship with Christ and why it's important. And, yeah, we got to be the best that we can be because that's what God expects. Uh, but we're doing it for the right reasons. And Donnie Shell changed my life. Uh, as a 21-year-old, he got me from focusing on sports to focusing on being the, the man God wanted me to be. And that's why I had him introduce me at, at the Hall of Fame, because he had the biggest impact on my life of anybody. Wow. I, I want to – you somewhat forced me to ask a football question because <laughs> I, I, I knew that you were a quarterback in college – but I didn't know the, the level of success you had. If you had been evaluating Tony Dungy as a coach, would you have drafted him to play quarterback in the NFL, or would you have done what Chuck Nolan and the Steelers did? I probably wouldn't have. Uh, I'd have done the same thing back then because we thought in a box back then. We had this perception of what was good and what was needed, and uh, we had – in my day, Jay, I played a game in my senior year in college. We're playing against the University of Washington. I'm leading the Big Ten in passing. Warren Moon's leading the Pac-8, I guess it was then, in passing. We play against each other, have a great game. Warren and those guys beat us. I don't get drafted. Warren Moon doesn't get drafted. I changed to defensive back. Warren says, I'm not going to be a defensive back. I, I, he went to Canada, won five Grey Cups and proved to everybody that he could be a quarterback. But back then, we looked at only uh, if you weren't a certain height, if you didn't play a certain way, we can't use you. Instead of looking at how we do now, well, hey, here's what Russell Wilson can do. This is how I'm going to tailor my offense. So it, it was devastating to me. I had a chance to go to Canada and play, but I wanted to play with the best. So I, I said, you know, hey, I'm going to switch. And we had a lot of guys like that. I mean, Conrad Holloway was in my, there's a guy, Chuck Ely at University of Toledo, never lost a game in high school or college. And that's what quarterbacks are supposed to be judged by. He never lost at, in high school or at Toledo, didn't get drafted, went to Canada, won the Grey Cup as a rookie. Um, those guys never got chances. They would have been Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes 30 years later. We have a more open mind now of how to use guys like that. So, uh, this is probably a silly question given what you've already shared about Donnie Shell and the Steelers, but, but I, I had it written down and I, I want, and, and I know back in your day they didn't make the kind of generational wealth that football players make now and, and maybe weren't the rock stars and television stars that football players are now, but it, it sounds like football saved you spiritually and so the question of did football help or hurt or have no impact on your spirits it, it it had amazing impact and so that will lead me to a follow-up perhaps of have we moved to a different space spiritually within sports and within football where god is being squeezed out no i don't think we are jason i think we are uh, at the point where we don't hear about it as much because we don't want to hear about it. 
And I think in football, especially, we're missing that real vocal person. Uh, we had there were a lot of guys on the Steelers that were strong Christians. I didn't know about them from watching TV or getting the media. We didn't have social media at that time. Uh, in the '90s, Reggie White turned all that around. And we had the same kind of guys in the 70s and 80s. But Reggie White said, you know what? I'm not going to hold back. And I'm, I'm popular enough. I'm good enough that I can say what I want to say. And Reggie made it okay to, to share your faith and to stand up for the Lord. And they'd ask him things. I remember I was coaching in the early 90s. And we got a memo that don't let your players hang around on the field after the game. They're praying in, in the, those circles. And better get everybody straight to the locker room because we're going to find them if they do. And I remember thinking, man, that, that's that's a little crazy on the NFL's part. But I wonder how this is going to go over. Well, Reggie White went right to the middle of the field and right to the prayer circle. And I, I thought to myself, let me see them find Reggie. And, and it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and that's what we need. And And I think we've got a lot of really neat Christian guys. I interview them. Uh, quite a bit on NBC, but we don't have that one bold superstar guy to make it okay to make everybody else feel like, you know what, I, I can be bold myself. And I think that's what we're missing. I think God's still there. We just don't hear about it as much. Tony, you, you, and <clears throat> I, I want to be careful. I'm not going to add you, you work for NBC. They got Sunday night football. That's the strongest brand in, in football. But I feel, felt it and part of the reason why I exited corporate television or whatever even at Fox Sports is because who you say Jesus and and people are like <laughs> Jesus what are you that's we done turned it into a curse word and I yeah. agree with you like you know Jesus hasn't gone anywhere in these football locker rooms I talk to Ray Lewis all the time I mean, who's on and fire? Right front and yeah. Yeah, yeah, who's on fire? And and I look, I look from afar and go, Lamar Jackson. This man is spirit filled. It's yeah. clear as day. We ran Tebow out of the league. Uh, the media did, and a segment of the fan base. And so, I think you're right. It's it's still there, but the media has somewhat decided. We don't want, we're not going to ask questions about it. And to me, I sit there and go, well, these guys can't do this without Jesus. They can't do yeah. it without their faith. That's the connective tissue a lot of times in the locker room. It, it really is. Uh, I, I remember the uh, Super Bowl. We had the Super Bowl, I guess it was four years ago now, uh, New England and Philadelphia. And Rodney Harrison was covering New England AFC. I'm covering Philadelphia all week as we're getting ready. And I remember coming back saying, man, these Philadelphia Eagles, man, they are on fire. Carson Wentz was hurt, but Nick Foles was, was the leader and Trey Burton. And they had all these guys. And I, I went on the show and I said, I think that uh, Nick Foles is going to play great tonight because he feels like God's got him there for a purpose. And he told me, he really feels like the Holy Spirit is working. Well, people jumped all over me. How can you say that on TV? Keep your religion out of it. It's not supposed to be. You just And I said, I'm reporting the sports. That's what Nick Foles told me. Okay, if he'd have told me his coach had this great game plan, I would have said that. But he told me he felt like he was going to play well because the Holy Spirit was with him. So uh, I reported that 
a lot of the stuff that I, I said in my interviews got cut out because we only have so much time and, and the producers are going to put on what they think is important and, and not everybody thinks that spiritual side is important. But when we went live after the game with Nick Foles and some of those guys, they they blasted. They put Christ on blast, and it was great to see. Mm. I, I, I'm telling you, it, the reason I made this move is just because like, I wanted to be able to share my full opinions and just circling back to where we began when I started talking about Galatians 5 and the fruit. The, the benefit that I try to describe to people, like one of the reasons to wear your faith publicly is because like for me, and I'm just speaking to other guys and Tony, it may not be your struggle, but it forces me to do the right thing. And, and Tony, I'm just, just being transparent because I like to be with my audience. It's like, yeah. uh, when you define yourself as a Christian and you wear it publicly, you can't go into strip clubs because you would look like an idiot. And everybody, be, look at this hypocrite. And so by me sharing and wearing, I'm just, I just make better decisions. By me sharing, I think about my gluttony every day. And yeah. like, hey, this is an affront to God. And I have to correct this. And yeah. so that's why I'm doing this show and doing it the way we're doing it is because I want to let young people know yeah. and other athletes like, don't be ashamed of this. Wear it, it will actually empower you. Amen, amen. I couldn't say it better. That's what those guys at the Steelers taught me. And that was a lesson I learned 30 years ago, 40 years ago now, and it was perfect. Uh, there's a good friend of mine, a guy named Sherman Smith. He's in a movie, Jason, if you are able to see it, you gotta see it. It's called Show Me the Father. It's an amazing story about Sherman and his life, but he played, he was a quarterback at Miami of Ohio, again, in my era, and they shifted him to running back at Seattle with the Seahawks. Very strong faith, he grew up in the faith, he kind of mentored a lot of us guys, and his saying was, he'd tell us, Hey, man, you, you say you're a Christian. Don't tell anybody that anymore because you're making the rest of us look bad. And then you'd have to check yourself and say, wait, wait a minute, Sherman, what do you mean? He said, no, if you're going to do what you're doing and you're going to live like that, just don't tell anybody you're a Christian. And uh, at first you would get offended, but then you'd say, you know what? You're right. I'm representing the Lord. I need to be better than that. And so that's always been my thing from then on. Uh, I, I let people know early on, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian player. When I became an assistant coach, I'm a Christian assistant coach. Now I'm a Christian head coach. Now I'm a Christian broadcaster. So you're going to get Christ when you get me. And if, if I am not representing Christ, then tell me, because I do not want to make God look bad. Tony, I think that philosophy is why... Is, and is why and how you and other coaches connect with players despite different backgrounds, different races, different upbringings. It, 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 again, that's the unifying message. But how, how do I think even the non-believers respond to that message and are attracted to it even though they're non-believers? <laughs> They, they responded well because you're honest with them, Jason. I, I, when I got my first head job at Tampa, we'd had 13 straight losing seasons. I get the job. 
I got in front of them just like Coach Noel got in front of us. I said, hey, don't make football your whole life, but you got to take this thing as important. We're here to win. We're going to turn this around. But understand this. I'm a Christian. Okay, so I'm going to coach you a certain way. I'm not going to demean you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to make you feel small. I'm going to encourage you. And we got to be in this thing together. Well, everybody bought into that. It took some guys longer than others. But uh, I remember <laughs> we were at practice. It started raining. Then the lightning got close. My assistant, who's monitoring that, said, oh, it's still about eight miles away. We're okay. We get another crash. And Brad Culpepper a defensive lineman for us, he stopped practice. He said, hey, coach, you know where you're going, but for those of us who don't, can we go inside? <laughs> and that was just his way of telling me, hey, I, I'm with you. I, I accept this. But you, you have to coach everybody, and you can't just coach the Christian guys. You can't just coach the nice guys. you got to connect with everyone. And I felt like I did that, but I did it by being honest. Uh, so Tony, a lot of times over social media, I like to share the gospel music I'm listening to. Uh, it, 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 mostly I'm attracted to the logic of faith, but the, the emotional side I tap in through, through the music, it, it really does move me. And so I was wondering if Tony Dungy had three or four, does he have a gospel playlist or one or two gospel songs that particularly speak to him that you could share with me in the audience, we can check them out ourselves? Yeah, I have a lot. And again, I'm very old school. Uh, Cece Winans uh, has become a good friend of mine. I she's got a song called Blessed Assurance. And I love that because it was my mom's favorite hymn. And a uh, young man I met in Tampa at a concert, Torn Wells has one called Hills and the Valleys. And I love that because it's our kind of our battle, you know, and he says, God is the God of the hills and the valleys. And uh, when I'm in the valley, I need to understand that. Remember that. Um, I love Israel Houghton. Uh, he's got a song called Rejoice. And again, that, that makes me, when things aren't going well, it, it reminds me that you got to rejoice all the time, uh, no matter what you're going through. If we'll rejoice, God will take care of us. But maybe my, my, the one that I go to when I'm, I'm down the most is a song uh, by a group called Mercy Me. And it, it says, I can only imagine. And the guy who wrote it, wrote about it when his dad died. And he was talking about his dad being in heaven and trying to imagine what that was going to be like. And my wife and I lost a son. And so we have to think about that. And now as much as we miss him, knowing that he's in heaven, can we imagine what that's really like? So those are some of the ones that, that I go to when, when I need to pick me up. All right, my personal favorite song and probably my favorite song of all time right now is Rance Allen and Kirk Franklin, uh, something about the name Jesus. It, it's no, I love me some Kirk Franklin song. now. I love some Kirk Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tasha Cobbs has a song, Fill Me Up, gets me every time. But probably the song that speaks to me the most right now is, I don't know if you've ever heard of, oh, I, I think I misspelled the name, Isabel Davis. I got, I put an E there instead of a, a, a D. But Isabel Davis has a song called Wide Is The Sky. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a praise and worship song that has a message that basically is telling you like, 
put all these other idols aside, yeah. put, put them down. Only Jesus is worthy of praise and blah, blah. Yeah. And it's a song about idolatry. You don't, she never uses the word idolatry, mm. but she's inspiring you not to be an idolatrous yeah. person. And, and, and you mentioned at the very beginning of this, and, and we, literally last week on Harmony uh, with Pastor Walker, we talked about idolatry. And we st- were trying to explain to people that it's not just some celebrity, you can make anything your idol. Food, and just as you said, football and sports, and people don't have that understanding. You can, you can place more of an importance on pleasing a football coach or pleasing a cheerleader yeah. through football or your teammate more than pleasing God. Anything yeah. can be an idol. No question about it. And good things can be. Your job can end up being an idol. Your, your family, your kids can be an idol. As much as we're supposed to work with our kids and we want to see them blossom and grow, they can't be ahead of our relationship with God. Uh, God has to be first. And that's a tough lesson to learn. But but that's exactly right. What you're describing about that song, we have to be so careful. Uh, and so... I'm assuming you're like most people, but maybe you're you're different. Is there a commercial song that you enjoy that might surprise people? Like Tony Dungy listens to Kanye West. <laughs> is there any, is there any music? Or I'm an Isley Brother fan. That's my all-time favorite group. It, that, that's probably you not. You listen to Usher. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see, I can see uh, Tony doing that. Uh, uh, well, Uncle Jimmy, I have to admit this. Now, I, I'm old school. My dad, when we used to, I was growing up, we'd try to turn on the Temptations on the radio, and he'd always go to the Drifters or go way back. And I'm, I'm like, hey, when I get older, I'm not going to do that to my kids. I'm going to stay current, but, but I can't. I, I just, I'm old school, so I'm Motown, Stevie, Marvin Gaye, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. But I think what might surprise people, my era of the 70s, the Ohio players, Bootsy Collins, uh, Parliament oh. Funkadelic. If I hear Flashlight right now, Bootsy, I might baby. get up and jump up. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that might surprise people. If we put on flashlight, Tony did. Tony did. No, no. Tony, Tony said if you put on the atomic dog, <laughs> you might go. show you That's, something. See? see, we're in the same era, Uncle Jimmy. You got it. Uh, so, t- players that you coached, anyone that you're particularly close to or the closest to, and perhaps why? You know, people ask you that all the time. Uh, Probably my favorite player that I ever coached was Warwick Dunn. Uh, he was so special. And I know a lot of people know the story. 17 years old, he lost his mom who uh, died in a, in a robbery. She was a police officer. Uh, he came to us and he won Rookie of the Year while he was taking care of his three teenage siblings. And then he came to me and said, I want to do more than just be a role model. I want to do some things to help Tampa be better. And he came up with a plan to pay the down payment on a house and donate it to a single mom. And he's done 175, 180 of those homes now in, in his lifetime. And he's just a special person. 
Uh, I love Warwick, and what he was able to do while he was playing was phenomenal. Probably the guy I'm closest to now is Derek Brooks. Derek was similar mindset. Uh, we live not too far from each other now. We've stayed in contact. We've done projects together, and Derek got it. When, when I stood in front of the team and said, hey, we don't want to just win Super Bowls. We want to make Tampa a better place to live uh, for 30 years now. He's, he's lived that out. He's got a charter high school here in town. Uh, he's at the Boys and Girls Club still to this day. Um, those guys are special in, in my mind, and, and probably I'm as close to them as anybody. Uh, those of us that are football fans are getting a closer look uh, and a closer relationship with Peyton Manning. He's doing these Monday Night Football <laughs> broadcasts. And the guys, I, he seems so intense but also so very likable during these broadcasts. And is that who Peyton Manning is? Very intense, but like really charismatic and likable. That's how he comes across on these Monday night broadcasts. Yeah, what you're saying is really who he is. Uh, he and his brother both, they were raised the right way. They're respectful. They're, they're great people. Uh, they, they are into their business. They want to be the best they can be, uh, but they understand life is, is fun and uh, they have fun, especially Peyton. He, he's, he was the biggest prankster on the team and a lot of people don't really understand that. But uh, yeah, he was sensational. What you're seeing uh, on Monday nights is really, really who he is. Uh was he the was he easy to coach? I think most people would think, well, like Peyton Manning kind of coaches himself. Uh, you know, this has got to be the easiest job in the world, coaching Peyton Manning. But was he that easy to coach? And did you ever have to discipline him, or did he ever have to discipline you? <laughs> oh, stop it! <laughs> he was easy to coach in, in some ways, Jason, because he wanted to win. He wanted to be the best. He took in information, soaked it in like a sponge. You, you couldn't give him too much information. He was tough to coach in some ways because he was always going to be ahead of the curve. He would come in on Tuesdays with a yellow legal pad, seven or eight pages of things that he saw watching tape over the weekend of the next opponent. We need to do this. We need to do that. Can we do this and that? Um, I didn't ever have to discipline him, but we had some conversations early on about being the best you can be and what it was going to take for us to win and I always talk about protecting the football. And he, he even mentioned it a little bit on Monday night. Uh, I got to hear a little bit. He was saying, hey, people try to challenge us with this cover two defense. And, and Coach Dungey used to say, they're insulting you. They don't think you can be patient. And uh, when I got there, I said, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl when, when you – realize that protecting the ball is the most important thing we can do. You want to be explosive. We're going to continue to be explosive. But if we take care of the ball better, that's when we're going to be a championship team. The first year I was there, he had 27 touchdowns, I think, and 19 interceptions. And the more we talked about it, the more I was able to show him uh, where he could still be as explosive, but we could be smarter with the ball that's when we got good. And then two years later, he had 49 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. And from then on, we were, we were competitors for the Super Bowl every year. I, I will tell you the, the one debate we used to have, though, Jason. Uh, I learned this in Pittsburgh. Chuck Noll had what we call Family Saturday. And Saturday was the day you brought your kids. Uh, they got to run around the locker room, be on the field. 
Coach Noel wanted the kids to know where their dads operated. So I did that at Tampa. All the guys that worked for me, Mike Tomlin, Lovey Smith, everybody did that. So I get to Indy now in 2002. Well, Saturdays for Peyton were always, he'd have this legal pad again of every play that didn't go right on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He'd want to run them one last time on Saturday. So his version or his idea of what Saturday practice was was a little different than mine. Being the coach, he kind of gave in to me. But like every six weeks or so, he'd come into my office and say, I, I know what you're doing with the family Saturday. I know you, you want the kids out here. Maybe they could just stay in the locker room. Then we can get our regular practice in, and then the guys could go back and see them. No, 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 no. <laughs> family Saturdays won a lot of Super Bowl. This is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, but I wanted to run this play with Marvin, and he's got Marvin Jr., and he's not really running hard, and we can't get the timing down. Just relax. But we'd have this conversation once a month. So finally, we start oh. winning, and he kind of lets it go. Well, now, fast forward, I'm working for NBC years later. He's out in Denver. I go out to Denver to interview him for the show. And one of the guys who also played with us in Tampa, Brandon, or in Indy, Brandon Stokely, comes running up to me. You will never guess in your life what Peyton did. I said, what did he do? He went to Coach Fox. He said, we got to put in Family Saturday. The kids need to know where their dads hang out. Well, now he has twins by that time. So now it's a different story. But uh, I said, I did teach him one thing. I may not have taught him much about football, but uh, we did get that point across. All right. So, Tony, I'm friends with and love Warren Sapp. But uh, I would have to imagine in terms of hours spent on knees praying about a single player, Warren Sapp probably had to be the guy that got the most, you know, if your knees are aching right now, it's probably for praying for Warren Sapp. Am I right? Cost you some calluses. (laughs) (laughs) You could be right about that. Warren, uh, very, very talented guy, very much an individual, wanted to win, uh, was a leader, and uh, was he, he had a different way of doing things than I did, so to speak. But I, I will say this about Warren, and you'll get a kick out of this story. When I got there, I, I went to Warren. I said, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl. you got to be the leader for me. You're going to play the Joe Green role. Uh, you're playing his position. You've got to lead. And I need you to be on the same team with me. So uh, if we can do that, we're going to win. So Warren says, well, here's what we need to do then, Coach. You need to draw the line for me and tell me where you want me to be. But I'll give you one warning. Draw that line exactly where you want it because I'm going to be right on the line every time. I'll never step over it, but don't expect me to be 10 feet from the line. I'm going to be right on the line. I said, fair enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sound like me, huh? <laughs> exactly the conversation. We need a family Saturday, and I need to draw that line for you, Jimmy. Uh, you mentioned uh, Mean Joe Green, and so if you could only choose one, Mean Joe or Warren Sapp? Oh, that's... Wow, wow. That, that's <laughs> a tough one, but I, I have to say this. I'm like my dad. See, I grew up watching Joe Green. If I asked my dad if Joe Lewis or Muhammad Ali, he's like, you got to be kidding me. Joe Lewis, of course, nobody could beat Joe Lewis. Jim Brown or or Barry Sanders. Jim Brown. Well, that's kind of how I am. Both great players, but Joe Green to me was bigger than life. And I, I was so young watching Joe. 
I don't think anybody was better than Joe Green. Warren, I got to side with Coach Dungy. Love you, Bill. <laughs> Joe Green is the greatest in his position. Joe Green's like the Reggie White in defensive tackles. Uh, he's a problem. Good job. Tony, of all the great things that you've done, uh, I think your biggest accomplishment, just for me, from way on the outside, beyond your family, your wife and kids, what you did for Michael Vick, I, I love Michael Vick. I love what he represents. I love his transition out of prison and just better human being and self-aware. I think that's your greatest uh, football accomplishment, what you did for uh, Michael Vick. What do you think your greatest football accomplishment is? Well, let me, let me start off saying I'm so proud of Michael. Uh, I got to know him. It just was a, a small world. My wife is from the same hometown that his attorney's from. And uh, Billy Martin called me and said, hey, can you talk to Mike when he's ready to get out? I went to Leavenworth Prison, and we had a long talk just in this little glass enclosure, and he's in an orange jumpsuit, you know, two years removed from being the highest paid player in football. And, and I said, how did you get here, Michael? What, what happened? And he said, I, I forgot who I am. I forgot the young man that my mom raised. She taught us right. I knew the right things to do but I left the Lord out of it. And we, we talked for another few minutes. And I said, well, what, what's been the toughest thing about being in here? And he said, the toughest thing is when I get these letters from boys and they say, dear Michael Vick, you were my favorite player. Why, why aren't you playing anymore? And he said, you know what? I write everybody back. I said, I'm not playing because I made some mistakes. I did the wrong thing, but I'm going to come back and show you that I'm not a bad person. And man, I had tears in my eyes. And so when Andy Reid called me, because nobody had been able to talk to Michael, and Andy Reid was coaching Philadelphia, and he said, what, what do you think? And is he changed? And is he ready to? I, I said, man, from me talking to him, I know he wants to make amends. He wants to show people. Uh, the, the other side of Michael Vick. And Andy took a chance on him when it wasn't popular. Uh, my, my charity in, in Tampa, All Pro Dead, people were calling in saying, I'm stopped donating because you're supporting this dog killer. So I'm like, what does that have to do with you don't want to donate to help kids and dads? But that, that's how polarizing it was. And Andy took a chance on him, and Michael did not let him down. Michael did everything he said he was going to do. And I'm so proud of him for that and coming back and being a better person. So I'm proud of that. But I guess to answer your question, Jason, I would say for me, uh, coming into the NFL in 1977, when there were only 10 African-American coaches in the entire league, my rookie year, um, when I became a head coach, knowing that I could give some guys a chance to get that, that start and develop and to have Herm Edwards and Lovey Smith and Mike Tomlin and Leslie Frazier and Jim Caldwell come up on my staff and all of those guys do it the right way, take teams to the playoff, take teams to the Super Bowl and represent the Lord uh, the right way. Uh, to me, I, I would say that's, that's what I'm most proud of in, in my coaching career. Heck of an accomplishment. Uh, why haven't we produced another Tony Dungy that whose tree produces that kind of fruit. Uh, you know, I, I don't say this as a criticism. I'm just as an observation. 
Mike Tomlin hasn't been able to develop the kind of assistant coaches, black assistant coaches, that you were able to do. And I'm a little bit surprised by that. I think Mike's a hell of a coach. I think the Steelers, obviously a great organization. He's influenced by you. Uh, you know, Tony Dungy, and I, I, I compare you to uh, John Thompson in college basketball. Great coaches, successful coaches, that's how you change things. Because, oh, I got to get me a John Thompson. And before John, everybody started going out and hiring black coaches looking for the next John Thompson. Everybody started looking for the next Tony Dungy, and you just rattled off a whole list of people. Why haven't we been able to do that again? And in particular, not a criticism, an observation. Why not Mike Tomlin? Why hasn't he been able to do it? I, I don't know what's happened, but, but I think it's a different time and a different era. Uh, it was definitely on my mind to do that because I had seen so many people. I grew up when Eddie Robinson and uh John Merritt and Jake Gaither and guys who were tremendous football coaches couldn't even get work in the NFL. Um, so for me, uh, Denny Green did it for me. Uh, there were no, Denny was the, the second African-American coach. It was just him and Art Shell. And Denny was determined, you know, I'm going to help some guys get that opportunity. So he mentored me. He mentored Tyrone Willingham and he made sure we knew what was going on. So when, when I got the job, that became part of what I wanted to do. I knew I could find enough guys who were good. Um, but I, I wanted to give those African-American coaches who were young and good, I wanted to give them an opportunity. And I, I, I think part of it, too, was because we were so open. You, you get these coaches now, they don't want to let their assistant coaches talk. They, uh, we got to have one message, and I'm the boss. You know, Herm Edwards was my assistant head coach. Uh, Jim Caldwell was my assistant head coach. I let those guys do press conferences. Um, I wanted the world to see who they were. I wasn't afraid to lose them. Uh, yeah, Herm left us and, and went to be the head coach of the Jets. That, that was fantastic for me. So I, I think it was a mindset as much as anything else. I, I hear what you're saying, and and I interpret it or not interpret. I have been observation of you like the Phoenix Suns basketball coach Monty Williams that I, I know you followed his success and he talks about living a life of service and so again you're trying to service other men and trying to it's not about Tony Dungy it's about how many people you can help along the way and I wonder, and obviously you're a unique individual, you, you, Donnie Shell, great impact on you. But, but I'm wondering if what has happened is like, there's so much money involved now and so much coaches getting paid astronomical salaries is if they're just not more protective of their place and station. And it's maybe they find it more difficult to live a life of service to others out of fear that, oh, this person that I'm helping might end up replacing me. I don't think it's that as much as just the, the atmosphere we've created. Uh, if you look at Hard Knocks, someone asked me on social media, um, would you have gone on Hard Knocks? And I, I replied to him, Hard Knocks would have never asked me 
because they don't want that. They don't want to see you teach and see people grow and see an organization help people. They're looking to create uh, social media stars and create a storyline and, and, and make it seem like to, to be a coach, you've got to be half crazy and you've got to intimidate people. And that, that's what they want to see. When I came in, the, the very first thing, Coach Knowles sat me down in 1981. He hired me. I was 25 years old. And I had watched him, but I, you know, I had never coached before. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? What's my job here? And he said, you only have one job here with the Pittsburgh Steelers on this coaching staff. Help your players play better. And that was him. It was so simple. But then when he, as soon as he said that, it made me think, man, that's why this guy is so good, because he's never stood up here and tried to prove why he was the boss. He never tried to show that he was the smartest person in the room. He picked good players, and he felt like if we help each one of them be the best they can be, we're going to be successful. So my whole life, you know, and it came from my mother. That was her M.O. too as a teacher, and my dad's M.O. as a teacher, and Coach Noel, I'm here to help my students. I'm here to help my players. Now, I just happen to think helping them be better men was just as important as helping them be better football players. But that was my job, to help people. And if I did that well, I was going to be successful. I don't think people think that way now. I, I think they feel like I've got to fit into this mold of what everybody's looking for as a coach. And uh, to me, that's too bad. Tony, you alluded to this earlier in the interview when we were talking about quarterbacks and your journey and Warren Moon's journey, and you referenced Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. And, and I'm someone, when Lamar Jackson entered the NFL, I was a skeptic. He's completely won me over. Football is just really important to Lamar Jackson. And, and I think that's what separates him. A lot of guys are in it for what football can do to them. They can make me famous. I can buy these cars. I can do this. Like, Lamar Jackson just wants to be a great football player and, and, and wants to prove everyone wrong. And so I, I'm all bought in. And I actually think he's going to be a game changer in terms of he's going to continue to play this style of football, I think, for 10 years. And I think everybody, every, people are going to say, oh, you know, he's got to get better from the pocket. He's going to have to get away from using his legs, blah, blah. No, I think this dude is unique, and he's going to put together a Hall of Fame career. Now, again, it may not, it won't go as long as Tom Brady's because he's playing a much more fit. But I do think it's going to go 10, 11, 12 years. He's going to be a successful winning quarterback playing his style of quarterback. I just don't think he's going to have to change that much. I think you're right, and I think they are going to win. John Harbaugh, just every time I see him, he tells me how passionate Lamar is, how his teammates love him. Uh, he, he's a leader in his own way, and they, they think he's going to be tremendous. And, you know, we, we have this kind of built-in uh, bias, I guess, and everybody, well, Lamar, as you say, he's got to do this. He's got to get better. He's got to be this. I remember them saying the same things about John Elway as a young quarterback. Oh, he's got athleticism. He's got a great arm. He does this. He's mobile, but he's got to get better from the pocket. He's going to have to be better at this. Well, then he wins his two Super Bowls late in, in, in his career, 
And he did adjust a little bit, but he played that way for a long time. Lamar's going to play this way. He'll get better. He'll get better throwing. They'll they'll get better utilizing his talent. But he, I, I think he's going to – he has changed the way the game is played, just the way Steph Curry has changed the way basketball has been played. Not fishing for criticism, but just you're an expert – I look at Lamar and just how important the game and how committed he is. I think he prepares as hard as any other. I I thought Cam Newton didn't reach his full potential because the game wasn't as important to him as it is to Lamar. That Cam wants to be a fashionista. Cam wants to be more things than just a great quarterback, and hats off to him. I'm glad he's got a well-rounded life. I, I really am. But if you want to be great and in the Hall of Fame, maybe you got to narrow your focus a little more. I, I would agree with that. And uh, we, you know, we sit there after the games on Sunday Night Football, and we're watching the press conferences, we're watching the reactions, the interviews after the game. And when when Lamar Jackson comes on. I never get the feeling that it's about Lamar. Uh, whether they win, lose, whatever happens, he's talking about the game, the team, what they could do better. Every interview I saw with Cam, I, I got the sense this is something about Cam. It's what I'm wearing or what I'd say or how I, I do things. And and that's okay. There, there are people like that, and there are quarterbacks like that. But I, I think the guys that you gravitate to and the guys that lead for a long time um, they, they make it about the team. Who's your Super Bowl pick, Tony? You know what? I, I can't tell you for six weeks. I'm so frustrated with the NFL philosophy now of we're not going to play our guys in the preseason. We're going to make sure nobody gets hurt. We're just going to be fresh when we come into September. I don't know who's good and who isn't. I see Tennessee get destroyed opening day, and then they go to Seattle and win. I see – Pittsburgh just throttled Buffalo, and then Buffalo goes to Miami and shuts them out 35 nothing. Pittsburgh loses at home. I don't think we're really seeing who's good yet, and that's going to shake out. Normally, I, I would know by second week, third week in September. I think it's going to be mid-October before we really know who's good and consistent, including Tampa and Kansas City. They, they look like they've got a lot of things going uh, Tampa defense hasn't been great these first two weeks. Kansas City defense has been awful the first two weeks. They'll come come around, but I think it's going to be November before we really know who, who the good teams are. That's a good note to end on, Coach Dungy. Uh, thank you so much for honoring us uh, with your appearance and just how much you shared about your journey. Uh, just Man, just keep carrying yourself the way you do. You, yeah. you you have no idea. Well, yeah, you probably do know how many people you're inspiring and touching. And, and idiots like me, you make me better. Uh, man, we love you, man. And and uh, I said, my brother, I remember we talked. I, I sent my brother your book about adoptive kids. They had a great conversation with their adopted son, Jonathan. Hmm. Your impact just is, is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep representing the Lord out there. We need more of it in this business. Thank you, Tony. All right. All right.
See if I can transition here to uh, Built Bar. Oh, I'm sure you ain't gonna have no problem with that. <laughs> See, it's not the first time I've had to transition to food, is it? Stretch gym? yourself. <laughs> if you're looking for a boost in the morning, then you'll need a Built Bar. Wanting to try something that's healthy for you but still tastes great? <laughs> you need a Built Bar. Looking for the best protein bar in the game? Then you need Built Bar. Built Bars are full of flavor, but they aren't full of sugars and calories. That's how they're able to absolutely blow their competitors away. No more will you look towards those other brands you see at the grocery store. The flavors you get from Built Bar like raspberry cheesecake, salted caramel, double chocolate, and truly amazing are truly amazing, and you should try them right now. And when you order online, you get the chance to get limited time special offers on their other flavors like cookie dough chunk before they are available to anyone else. Go to built.com and use promo code fearless to save 15% off your first order. Use the promo code fearless for 15% off at built.com. Welcome back. Let me tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. Truly incredible. Their food is coming from 100% American farms. Their farm-raised chicken and grass-fed cattle will provide a better tasting option than anything you can get from your local grocery store. Those other guys just cannot compete with the meat you'll get from Good Ranchers. We just had some this afternoon. Jimmy, I gotta give you credit. You did a great job out on the grill. I've been eating this good, good ranchers meat. Tell them what you said. Tell them what you said about that chicken. Go ahead. <laughs> Tell them what you said that chicken tastes like, man. It tastes like chicken, but it almost tastes like bacon. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And I'm not joking. I can not taste this good. <clears throat> they bring high quality, a standard of food that stands up to those expensive Mail order companies, and you can have all their delicious food, which comes individually wrapped, wrapped and seasoned, and delivered, delivered straight to your door. Stop it, Jimmy. Uh, pick from any other their any of their other options like their Ranchers Classic or their Family Feast Bundle. I may need you to help me out if I can. <laughs> I was trying. You. I saw everyone you. in your family the absolute best meal possible, but stop listening to me and go order from them right now. If you subscribe, you'll get twenty dollars off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to goodranchers.com slash fearless. Where you going with my plate, Coy? Uh, and you can get $20 off and free express you shipping. No Corey late. That's goodranchers.com slash fearless. Good food. Time for some Tennessee harmony. I want to hear Al Green after I hear that music. You know what? Well, you just reminded me, because I meant to do this last week, you know, because I went to Anthony's church. And he sang some Al Green? Uh, he can sing. I can just say that. He can, can, he can sing. Can He's a talented guy. He can sing better than you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> Ask him his three, three songs on, from his playlist, three gospel songs. Oh, yeah, you got two or three of your favorite. What's your, what's your all-time favorite gospel song? Mine is something, something about the name Jesus, Ranch Allen, Kirk Franklin. That's up there. I wouldn't put them, I wouldn't rank them one, two, and three, but something about the name Jesus is up there. Uh, I Need Thee Every Hour is up there. 
Uh, it is well with my soul. That's a really deep one as far as the origin of that song. Uh, it's up there. But yeah, those would be three I would hit very quickly. I like Hezekiah Walker. God favored me. There you go. Oh, yeah. They whispered, conspired. Well, <laughs> they told their lies about me. Yes, sir. God favored me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the favor of God. <laughs> well, uh, Anthony, could you do us a favor and, and bless our conversation and the Good Ranchers meet I just had? Certainly. Father God, we thank you again for the opportunity to uh, just be here and to discuss our faith. Father, we pray that those that are listening are blessed and those with even that they're in contact with are blessed. Bless this discussion, Father, and we pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you got some pressure on you today, Anthony. All right. Following behind Tony Dungy. And we had a great conversation talking about his spiritual journey and walk and some football. And so, you know, got a little pressure on you today, right. but I, 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 I love the topic because, and it has a good little flow of what we talk with uh, Tony about, and we t talked a little bit about you, and, and we talked about the conversation we're gonna have about fruit of the spirit, and because you had, you had suggested, hey, we need to talk about civility, and uh, mm -hmm. we need more civility uh, in society, and it made me think about <clears throat> the realization I had to come to about myself, that if I really wanted to be heard and understood, I gotta be more civil and I gotta tone down some of the attack and the vitriol and, and, and I just, I gotta armor myself, cover myself with more of the fruit mm -hmm. so that people are like, oh, I wanna receive the message. Mm -hmm. And because if it's packaged wrong, and, and you know, a lot of times I, I don't like to get hyper political, but I'm just going to say it. I think it was Donald Trump's failing that because uh, I, I like the America first message, but people can't hear it because of the packaging and the attack. And, mm -hmm. and so it's hard for people with any faith. They, they don't see the fruit of the spirit. They don't want to hear what's coming from your tree. Right. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, certainly with the tree, a lot of times what really needs to match is matching passion with compassion. And compassion is what we all need in humanity. So when we have that passion, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be passionate about the things that you like to pursue, change that you like to see in the world. Those are good. But when it's matched with compassion, it helps you to be more civil, helps you to be more, uh, recognize your humanity. Uh, humanity, there are four questions that I often think about that everybody uh, has to answer or struggles with. Where did I come from? Why am I here? How do I deal with guilt? And where am I going when I die? Everybody deals with that. So when we recognize our humanity, it helps us to see, you know what, that person is dealing with the same things I'm dealing with. They're struggling with the same things. How we get those answers may be different, but we have the same struggle. So that should help us in our discussion. But right now, it's so tribal, man, to where now I've already got a judgment of who you are before we've even had a conversation. And that makes it that makes it tough. It, it, and I've said this before with you and Pastor Bobby, but it came up today with uh, uh, Tony Dungy 
in just in terms of this judgment that people are making because, oh, you're a Democrat, so I'm mm -hmm. judging you this way. You're a Republican, I'm judging you this way. And that's why I keep insisting to people, I'm trying to make people say the first thing they think about me, oh, you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And then deal with me from there. And maybe you won't like me because of it. I'll deal with that. But I don't want you to immediately jump to negative conclusions about me because I'm wearing these other identities that come with a lot of back. I'll take the baggage of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I don't want the baggage of being a Republican or a Democrat or I, I don't even, for me, I, I don't even want to, I don't want the uh, baggage of being known as a uh, heterosexual. Just judge me in Christ and let, I'll let all that answer the questions about what I am and who I am. We can only find our identity. We've talked about it before. We find our identity in Christ. That's where our main identity comes from is through Christ. But when I attach my identity to how I look, uh, decisions I make, political standings, political ideology, et cetera, when I attach my identity to that, if you attack my political standing, well, now you're attacking me. So in, in, in the same way in how we judge, if I find my identity just in policy or just in orientation or just in preference, if I find my identity in that, then now we've left who we are as humans and we're just a bunch of ideas floating around to where now if someone sees Jason, I can't see him for the human he is. I can't see him for the Christian he is. I only see him for his perspectives. And that's where the tribalism comes to where now you just brought up about it from a political sense. If someone wears a MAGA hat, we've already had the discussion before anything has been said. If someone had a, you know, back at the time, you know, a Hillary, I'm with her or whatnot. A whole discussion has been had long before a relationship has been built. I can remember growing up to where you really didn't know a person's political ideology. You, you didn't know whether they, it was just that was just kind of a sidebar because we were more in tune with who we are as human humanity and community. That was what really mattered. Is there any path back to that? So the path goes back to God. OK, we've always you know, mentioned that, but it goes back to God and it also deals with how we understand what we're really up against. It's not against a personal situation. It's really against ideologies. It's really against spiritual matters. Uh, Paul would put it like this. I've got one of the scriptures up. Uh, let's go to the first one. Paul says in Galatians five. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh for flesh desires what is contrary to spirit and the spirit what is contrary to flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are that you don't do whatever you want. And what Paul is really saying there is our flesh. It pretty much has an automatic setting. We don't really wake up, for example, we don't really wake up and decide, I think I'm going to be hungry at this time. No, our body already does that. We more so decide how we respond to what our body wants to do. And so as we lean more towards the spirit, it's God, what would you have me to do? 
How would you have me to live? How would you have me to interact? What are some people that you want me to share your message with? Not just by the flesh, but when we live by the flesh, hey, if I see it, I'll do it. If I want more, I'll have more. If it is I want to say it, I'll say it without regard to the spirit that's behind the person before us. That is is a lesson that because a lot of my identity was was uh, tied to I'll say anything, whatever I'm thinking, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I I saw that as a strength. Whatever I'm thinking, I'll tell you directly and I don't care how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and literally, I, I arrogantly like that makes me better than Jimmy. That makes me better than Anthony. Mm-hmm. They'll bite their tongue and won't tell you what you're really thinking. And and. I had to figure out, Jason, that's an immature way of thinking <laughs> that, you know, showing some restraint, measuring your words, making sure just because you feel it in the moment to say it. But is that is that the bet for you to say it now? Is that the best long term or could it do some damage to people? And then the next sentence you say they may not receive because of the sentence you said without any thought and just, mm-hmm. just what I feel and you, you wear your emotions on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn all of that. And, and that's, again, I, 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 what I love about, there's so much wisdom in Christianity and in the Bible and, and you know, people that are seeking the truth and just a better way of operating, it's in that book Go, 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 yes. go find there's some yes. tools in there that will lead you a better way. And, and, and I, again, I, I just go back to because, again, I, even though I, I don't vote, I think people were aware because of the way I am, the fact that Trump was covered in all this mess didn't bother me. I was just like, man, just worry about the policy. Don't don't ignore all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not easy for humans to do. Sure. And and like and I, I've started telling people, I was like, man, if Trump's really a patriot and he's really about this life and he's really about he would cast off a lot of this mess and ignore the people trolling him and trying to poke him. And because that's what men do. That's what mm. mature men do. Yes. And men with honorable goals do. Sure. What Jesus certainly did. Absolutely. He said all kinds. They uh, yeah. <laughs> put him on a cross and did all, right, he right. Held his tongue. <laughs> right, right. So when you think about that, uh, one of the things that resonated that you just mentioned, you said the fact that you thought I could say anything, I would say anything, and that makes me strong. Well, the strength is not being able to say it. The strength is being able to restrain if it doesn't need to be said. Anybody can pull the trigger, but who is it that can restrain from? You know what? Even though right now I want to say I want to from a fleshly side, spiritually, ah, this may not be best. There may be a better way. And now you're entering into a realm where not that I said something that evoked a response immediately, but now you're wanting to say things that will cause people to ponder long after it was said. Now, that's stepping into God's way of being spirit led, the fruit of the spirit. Let's look at those. Um, if you've got a second, the second scripture I had in Galatians chapter five, beginning of verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The common thread through all of that is it is totally fleshly indulgence. Whatever it is that the flesh wants to do, do it. And so, you know, you look at some of those things, sexual immorality, do as much as you want of it. That's what the flesh wants. Um, Impurity, debauchery, selfish ambition. It's about me. I could care less about what anybody else has to say. That's a fleshly mindset. And if we let the flesh run by itself, it'll run and it'll, it'll keep doing those things. But then the adverse to that in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And your favorite self-control against such things. There is no law. Now, God's law is against allowing the flesh to run its life. But if you look at what happens with the fruit of the spirit, he says you can live like that and do as much as you want to of that. And there is no restraint on that. There's nothing holding back as loving as you want to be to others. There's nothing holding back to as kind as good. Now. This doesn't make weak individuals. It doesn't take away from being strong, brave, courageous, leader, all of that. But as the spirit guides us, we live in this manner, which helps others to receive what it is, the truth that we have to offer. And so as someone in the media and a journalist who for years was like, I'm on. I'm just seeking truth where I'm going to just follow the truth mm-hmm. wherever it goes. I'm t- it took me a long time to figure out, like, OK, you, you discover you're trying to t- lead people to truth. But your packaging is pre- preventing them from receiving that truth. So it's great that you deliver it. But if no one ever drinks from it, brings it into their home, brings it into their spirit, mm-hmm. you're just wasting your time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's the lesson I had to learn. And I think a, a, a lot of people, a lot of men need to learn that. And it's not just, hey, I can discover truth. It's can I pass it on, share with other people, have them receive it and then engage with me based on that truth. Right. And that's why, again, when I look at my life and the failed relationships, and I, I would be sitting, like, man, I'm, I was honest, I was truthful. You know, blah, blah, blah. She just couldn't handle that. <laughs> and I could never look at myself like, mm-hmm. the way you packaged it, who could? Right, right, right. <laughs> who would receive that from the way that it was packaged? So when you think about that, people believe half of what we say, but they believe everything we do. So when we understand that how I'm presenting, what I'm presenting, is a part of the very message that I'm presenting. Even how you say, even the words you choose to say to express that truth, that's a part of the message. And if we step back and we look at what is it that I want them to really leave with, 
What do I really want them to have from this discussion, from this encounter, et cetera? If that's it, that's what I need to chase after as best I can administer that. Otherwise, they're going to receive my opinion, my way, which leads them away from God. Anthony, you've just led me to an awesome question. I was having this conversation yesterday. Uh, The brother that comes on this show from D.C., Delano Squires, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really God-filled guy and and just great family, stands for all the right things. And and we were having this discussion about uh, profanity. And and I was having Tony Dungy, I mentioned at the beginning of this show, uh, reached out to me over social media. I was like, Jason, I love the things you're representing, but you know, stay away from the profanity. You know, is you're misrepresenting us, and 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 it's not effective as you think. But here's the argument that that because I agree with him, but I, I need some more guidance and counseling mm-hmm. on this. Because I've made this argument. Me and Delano had this conversation yesterday. I was like, Delano, when. when I think when you're trying to reach a younger black audience, our culture has been so bathed in profanity, dysfunction, and and I use this as an example. And I like this young brother, Kwame Brown, mm-hmm. former NBA player, mm-hmm. made news recently and built a, a YouTube following and a following, you know, uh, overnight, and, and he's really profane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His message is actually pretty good. It's rock solid, actually. But he delivers it in a really profane way. And he's attracted a massive audience. And, 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 and I've said to people, I was like, I'm not sure, because it's, it's happened to me where I used to do a podcast, uh, a weekly podcast with a guy named Curtis Schoon, and it was a very intelligent conversation. Uh, but one time I got emotional during the show and just more fired up, and I was far more profane. I, it wasn't excessive, but I was just more profane than I had been at any previous time. And people were like, man, Whitlock kept it real today. Yeah, Whitlock was on fire. Mm-hmm. People like responded to that and like thought, oh, he's authentic. And that's the best version. There were people actually saying this to me. Wow. And it made me say like, if, if it's not packaged with a little taste of the hip hop, people, people have been programmed like maybe they want it. They don't think it's real. They don't think it's authentic. They, well, he ain't really black. Mm-hmm. You don't say the N word. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. don't cuss. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, what do you, what's your response to that? Again, we're still going back to it's just a different flavor, but we're still going back to the identity is being represented by the culture and not the truth that you're trying to get across. So, in order to relate to the culture, think about Jesus and, and you look at his life. Wasn't a profane guy. He wasn't a flashy guy. He wasn't Jesus. The Bible describes him as somebody that if you saw him in a crowd, you wouldn't think that that was the Lord Jesus. He he wasn't physically attractive. He had none of that stuff. But his message and his method is still touching us today. So as it relates to those who say, oh, you're authentic because you express 
what your flesh desires in that moment of, hey, I'm going to say and I'm going to let it fly. And that makes you more real than those who don't. That was one of the things that attracted me to Coach Dungy's method of coaching. Um, you don't have to be profane to get the message across. You, you don't have to. And, and will lead a team to a Super Bowl in a locker room and in a sport that is about channeled rage and fire. You don't need the profanity to get that same message across. I had to learn even with myself um, as a you know, preacher and all these things. I can be loud and it's just kind of natural to me raising kids. You know, I, I can. Oh, I can you know, get their attention with my voice. I injured my vocal cords a couple of years ago and I couldn't talk above this tone. So could you imagine my kids being up on stuff and I have to say, could you get down? Didn't I tell you to stop? Like I had to <laughs> I had to get the same message across, but couldn't use the volume. What does that do for me? It teaches me I don't really have to get loud. Now, if my voice gets just a little bit higher, I can see it begin to break them down because it's like, whoa, this is gone. I really want them to get that truth across. So for those who are as interested in truth as you're trying to share, they will seek after that. To those who just want an authentic experience as, hey, he's real if he does this. Instagram is full of that. Twitter is full of that. Anybody can get likes and, and follows from being brash and harsh and raw. But how many of those people are really interested in the truth and more so just your packaging and delivery? And then so would you say, like I've seen it with public, I've seen it with Barack Obama, get in front of a black audience and he got a different twang to his voice. He does. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everybody. How y'all doing today? How y'all doing out there? My, my, wife, my wife just shared it with me literally last night. Uh, if I am preaching to a predominantly black audience, I have a different dialect than if I'm preaching to a predominantly white audience. I think there's culture in that. The difference for me is, and I'm not making myself on the level of uh, President Obama, but for me, my intent is to share the same truth. Now, I, because I'm a black person, I have some colloquialism, some phrases that I know they'll get. I understand that culture, but I have taken that same thing to a predominantly white audience. I'm, I'm who I am and I'm sharing that same truth, not to uh, placate to them or placate to others. I don't want my black audience to think I'm more real because I use that. I want them to focus on the truth and, and take me out of it. Hmm. Jim, you got anything or? Real quick, if I could just ask. Certainly, you, brother. And, Certainly. And, uh, when you was going through your list of things, you uh, said that uh, th there was an interesting list to me because uh, you had debauchery, fornication, mm -hmm. side, you know, th this whole list of sexual things. But right in the mix of it, you also had witchcraft in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was real interesting because there's a, you know, we out here freaking, <laughs> and we just think we're getting freaky deaky, and we out here committing. We out here doing devil worshiping acts. Yeah. In the name of sexual sexual yeah. acts. Yeah. That's that's what Paul was addressing. Paul had to address this with a lot of that world because that world and culture was pagan at the time. So they believed in all of that kind of stuff and all those kind of spirits. And he understands 
the spirit behind that. I actually had a scripture about that as well from Ephesians, where Paul lets us know our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is Ephesians chapter six Mm. and verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that heavenly realm just means the spiritual realm. So what's really behind a lot of what we see from a preacher and Christian perspective, I often share this. We're in a spiritual warfare. It's not about flesh and blood. When people hate on you and I because of the color of our skin, it had nothing to do with my skin. There's a spirit behind that. You hate a person before formulating a relationship. There's a spirit behind that. Loving you, but that spirit that's behind that, that's what we're really against. So what Paul was addressing, he's addressing there's a spirit through all of that, all of the immorality, all of the debauchery, all of the selfish things that we do without regard to another. That's a spirit. And if we let that run, it will run rampant through our lives, through our families, through our relationships. So some people have spirits running through them and they think it's just the lifestyle. That's it. That's it. Jim, that was good work. <laughs> Thank you. Up on. That was good work. Every now and then the sun shines on the dog's tail. <laughs> we're, not, we're not cursing, Jim. I just had Tony Dungy on and I told him I wasn't cursing anymore. At least as best I can. Pastor Walker, awesome job as always. I think Pastor Bobby will be back uh, next week. Hey, man, uh, we need to make sure Pastor Bobby, all right, man, we need to make sure Anthony ain't done something with him, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, need sure, we need to make sure Bobby, all right, you, you know I how our people do, man. No, no, I, 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 I talked to Bobby, and I told him, I was like, you weren't missed last week, bro. See that? <laughs> I miss Bobby because while y'all be talking, Bobby be looking at me and he go, <laughs> I need that, man. Just... <laughs> okay. I'll check you every now and then. Yeah. I think he'll be back next week. We, we, and okay. we slightly do miss Bobby, slightly. Oh, I, man, Bobby might do it. I, well, my mother, we are saving money on makeup on the top of that head, and, right? And I, I was just saying this. My mother called me. I don't know if y'all need Bobby. Oh, I my sure God. I love Anthony. When I come to uh, Nashville, we better be at his church. Okay, first well, of all, okay, hold on, hold on. Jason, can we, can, we, can, we, can we discuss something? Because I'm going to have to put Anthony in the spot a little bit. Because remember when Anthony first came, he had on long sleeve? Yeah. Have you noticed every time Anthony come up, he, his shirt getting shorter and shorter? <laughs> Sun's out, guns out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, That's it. What, 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 yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Ooh, I like Anthony. I carry a strong word, man. <laughs> All right, that's it, and that's all for us. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom